What's up, everybody? Welcome back to In the Weeds. And me, Sergio, and Alan are very excited to have my good friend um, and local influencer, celebrity, entrepreneur, this, that, and the other on the show today, Artem. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I, I think we, we, we're going to educate the people who, who have been watching and, and, and maybe people that do or don't know you on your uh, the business you've built and everything you have going on right now. But here in the weeds, we like to jump right into um, the starting line, so to speak, and take everybody back to um, your roots and, mm-hmm. and you with having such a history in, in Muay Thai and combat sports and just that overall industry. My lead-in question um, to take us back there was put us back in the, the time and place when you first put a glove on or punched a bag or were ever in that setting. Um, and I think our stage can be set perfectly from there. Oh, God, the, that smirk. That yeah, smirk. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little worried. I'm, I don't know what to expect. Up. I don't know what to expect. But, I, yeah. I, got a, I got a couple one, a couple little missiles couple I'm going to fire over. Nice. But, uh, but that was my, my first that I think will, will really get us going. That's funny. Well, thanks first of all for popping my podcast cherry. Oh, I for told sure. you that. Yeah, yeah. Saved, <laughs> saved myself for this this moment. Appreciate it. Okay, so first time I started, man. Yeah, I have to like really think back. Where do you know where you're at? Uh, so I tried training in Russia, but um, you know, like Russian Russian mentality is so different when it comes to combat sports. Um, I tried boxing and I tried it at when I was 16 and I literally walked in and they're like, dude, you're way too old. They, at they, 16? At 16. They're like, hmm. you're, you're way too old to even start this. Why are you doing this? So the mentality there is like, you have to be starting at like three years old, you know, in order to be good. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So that right away, like turned me off. You know, I was like, well, okay, I guess I am too old for that. You know, so I trained for a little bit, didn't take it seriously. And my mentality was to train just so I can learn how to fight on the street. You know, that was the, the main goal, right? So mm-hmm. not as a sport. Uh, so I did that for a while, but was not serious about it. Learned about Muay Thai in Russia, actually. Uh, but we didn't have... So I come from a very small town, middle of nowhere. Uh, people always ask me, they're like, oh, you're from Russia. So, like, where are you from? I'm like, well, how many cities do you know besides, <laughs> you know, Moscow and St. Petersburg? Like, yeah, I, yeah. that question bothers me so much. <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, uh, yeah, so small town. So we didn't have any Muay Thai schools. We only had one boxing gym at a time. Uh, again, I was, according to them, was too old to do that. Um, for Muay Thai as well? Uh, so for Muay Thai, we didn't even have schools, right? Oh, okay, so we didn't you, even okay. have schools there for that. And that was it, you know. So then when I moved to U.S. when I was 18 years old, uh, I was detailing cars across the street. Uh, uh, there was a gym called the Boxing Club. And I was detailing cars. It was on Convoy. It was like a little gas station. And I was car washing with a bunch of Mexican kids. Hmm. Right? And then, um, so I saw a gym called the Boxing Club. And I kind of had interest in joining it. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, it was still like, well, I'm too old for this. You know, mm-hmm. why, why would I even do that? Right? And then finally, my sister actually surprised me with a one-month membership there. Hmm. They're like, you got you to go and give it a shot. At the same time, I'm watching on National Geographic around the same time on the channel. It was like a, a Muay Thai is one of the top 10 most brutal sports. Uh, and I'm like, okay, I really want to do that. You know? <laughs> <clears throat> so I go there. 
And uh, I walk in first day and they're like, uh, okay, you, you're not good for Muay Thai, but you can start with like this power boxing, power kickboxing classes, which we, we have now, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's like basic, like it's some instruction, but it's more cardio based class. By the way, smoking at that time, pack a day. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and you how old? Uh, at that, well, I started smoking when I was like 14. Oh, okay. Yeah. Damn. So, yeah. So at that time, <laughs> yeah, like crushing pack a day, right? So I start training there. And throw up after first class, like destroyed. Like I, I don't even think I finished. I think I did like 30 minutes mm -hmm. of the class and I was like dying. So I saw Muay Thai class training in the ring. And at that time, uh, the coach there was Melcher Menor. And he is probably one of the biggest names for Muay Thai for United States at that time. So it's just oh, a wow. weird coincidence, right? Uh, so he, he was teaching class and I'm like, so how can I get in there? And they're like, months down the road maybe right and then um yeah so i started taking these classes and i started getting better quit smoking right away right mm -hmm. so that's that's one thing because it's like you my buddy of mine joe Schilling. so he smokes like chain smokes still till this day sure. uh, uh while competing and i remember like seeing um you know fighting in vegas and he'd be like chain smoking while at the weigh-ins uh, <laughs> for for like laying down laying down because he's cutting so much weight laying down like and just just smoking in Vegas at, at the Hard Rock when we fought there so I don't know how Jesus. he does it but yeah so it would make me so sick so I just quit smoking right away and then I would still detail cars go to the gym and work out so after that first month finished um, now I was bought in right so now I was saving detailing cars saving saving money and then training there and then. Um, saving for private training because i figured like if i want to get into muay thai if i'm serious about this like i gotta get a little head start because i'm already behind mm -hmm. right you already had kids young kids in there like they were crushing it so i would save up save up for like a four pack you know four sessions and then um yeah just just do those sessions and it, it was horrible i was so bad like the coach was literally like, i remember one of the first sessions is like you don't dance huh <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like no I don't he's like yeah I can tell he's like dude you're 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 not moving your hips you're not putting any weight behind it like I was horrible horrible and then but then you know like consistency consistency I started training more and more and more and then uh, uh finally I saw that same coach that I was doing private training with and I said I think I'm ready for a Muay Thai class and he's like okay well hop on the back just freestyle for me for 30 seconds right so there was no really like test requirement, but at the same time, the coach wants to make sure that you're you have some basic knowledge of, of Muay Thai because mm -hmm. it's a contact class. Right. So it's like you, you, you have to know what you're doing because otherwise you can hurt the other for person. Sure. Right. So I freestyle in the bag for 30 seconds and he's like, nope, not ready. <laughs> like, Shit, man. I'm like, dude. But, you know, so that, that that's the moment where you're like a lot of people are like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not going to mm -hmm. do it. Right. Or like double down. on it. And I was like, you know what? OK, cool. Like, I'm going to take more classes. So then I was obsessed. Right. So my schedule was crazy because I would go to college. Right. Mesa College, which was like not that far from there. I would go to college, finish college, uh, 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 go to detail cars and then uh, stop and then try to take like three classes in a row. Mm -hmm. So I'll take like a 5.30, 6.30 and 7.30. Oh, back to back to back yeah, to back, yeah. right? And then here and there, like guys now, they see me all the time and I'm kind of like obsessed with it. So they would hold mitts for me for free sometimes, you know, because they knew like I didn't have any money. And that's it. That's how it started, man. And then finally kind of I get it, got into it and, and worked my way up you know, through the ring. So did you have, like, 16, prior to 16, did you do any 
like uh, combats, any sports that were like a football or like head to head or any anything like that, or was it, was it just hey, I, at sixteen, I just jumped right into this this sport? Did you have anything in so, the past? So in Russian schools, you know, the PE um, is actually pretty cool because you're doing like all kinds of different stuff. So we played soccer as part of PE. We did skiing as part of PE, like cross country skiing, no which way. was like gnarly. We did uh, biathlon, which is skiing and shooting. You know, so mm-hmm. we did a lot of cool sports, but I can't say like I was very serious about any of these things. You know, well, so was it that uh, was it like in your family that fighting? Yeah, no, both both parents politicians, like no school, school teachers. No way. Yeah, not at all, not at all. It was it was it was that like upbringing. So '90s obviously were like brutal in Russia, right? So everyone fought. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think it was the main thing was like getting my ass kicked probably like 10 times, if more, not more. And mm-hmm. then you're like, okay, I really got to learn. Like, how I think to that was my this. next question. If that was like part of it, if that, if that was happening. Yeah. I mean, it was daily. Really? It was like literally daily between school, walking home from school, like starting from like really young age, you mm-hmm. know, like six, seven years old, I was already getting jumped, you know, but not just me, like every kid, you yeah, know? So it's yeah. like, you're either you're on on the alpha team or you're getting beat up, you yeah. know. And then and then so that's why it's like, then you form your own cliques because it's like you know power in numbers, right? So then then chances of you getting jumped are less and less and less and less. Mm-hmm. So I always wow. had that. I think in inside of me, like inside my head, like I need to learn how to defend myself, mm-hmm. and I did, you know, but never through the proper training. Right. You know? I think. I mean, that's. That's definitely more unique than most people I, I even know just in my in my circle growing up in Russia. And I think that I'm, I'm super interested in hearing that, like, you know, around the house, around school, um, how that was compared to um, over here, you know, and, and, and what you kind of went through there. It was insane. It was so yeah, crazy. I imagine. It's I, like I, it's I'm, very defining, you know, and that's why Russians, it's like, you know, people always joke like Russians are not the friendliest people, you know. But there's a reason behind it, right? Especially like growing up in 90s. The notion of smiling at a stranger is like you're weird, you know, <laughs> and you're showing weakness. It's, it's still like that? It's, no, no, it's, it's changed. It's oh, okay. changed. But I, w- I think I, I was probably like the last generation of that. I think new generation might be different. Hmm. Uh, who knows? I, I could be wrong. It could be still kind of instilled there. But y- you being f- overly friendly and smiling is like sign of weakness. Crazy. It's nuts. It's completely different. And, and, and so, so you have to be a hard ass 24 seven, yeah. you know, 24 seven. And again, it all depends on where you grow up to. Again, I grew up in a small town and like rural town in the middle of Russia, which at one point was considered as one of the kind of top organized crime okay. cities, you know, mm-hmm. in combination with nineties, which was obviously after fall of USSR, you have like controlling government and then you have free for all. So, so a lot of people didn't know how to deal with it, you know, and not only that, again, not having really solid structure for people, you know, you you had, you had all these crazy criminal organizations that were literally running the city, you know, so you had to navigate through that. So like as a kid, like hearing gunshots, that was like a normal thing. And and then seeing it on the news. And then another thing too, like news there are graphic. Again, I don't know if it's changed, but I mean, it will be like, you know, 7 a.m. newscast, and it'll be, like, body on the street, and they're showing everything, like, oh, this guy got, like, murdered or stabbed or whatever. Oh so it was, like a, it was, like, a daily thing. And then, so you grow up with it, right? So 
our parents didn't have like a notion of like, oh, this kids shouldn't watch that. You know, mm -hmm. like I watched any any movie you can think they of you from from the young. Not even that. They were just kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's normal. It's normal. That's normal. That's crazy. Yeah. And they're both politicians. They're they're both politicians. Yeah. So their uh, mom is retiring this year. Dad kind of stepped away from like hardcore like politics and is still involved, but not nearly as before. You know. I was going to ask, so did your parents kind of push you into going in and taking these classes when you were still over there? Because I know you said, you know, you got your ass handed to you a few times and that kind of pushed you towards going in and wanting to learn uh, boxing. Did they kind mm -hmm. of like tell you, hey, you should probably go take some classes or was that on your own? I think when I was younger, they took me to like some wushu or some bullshit like that. <laughs> like one of those, one of those classes. Yeah. So we had to. Yeah, I remember going. So how old was I? It must have been like maybe 12, 13. Uh -huh. So I took a class and we were, had to learn all these stances, right? So And I could be totally wrong right now talking out of my ass, but it was like uh, praying mantis stance and the bear stance and all this shit. And even then as a kid, I was like, dude, this is bullshit. I'm like, <laughs> this is so stupid. Like this would never work. Like I'll, I'll, you know, like I'll get in this praying mantis stance and like get socked in the face. You know? <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. So I think they, they, they tried, but I didn't really it, stick with it. You know what I mean? So they were, they were really not anti-fighting. Okay. So how, how did the, how'd you make the jump from, was it a whole, your whole family that came from Russia over here? No, my family's still there. So my sister actually moved here first. My sister oh, no moved to U.S. first, yeah. And then she moved at a relatively young age. I think she was in, like, early 20s. Mm -hmm. And she moved here because, by luck, uh, this American girl moved to um, our city to be part of the uh, uh, program. And it was basically education program. So uh, uh, American citizens, they go to different places in Russia. And I don't remember what organization is called. But they basically go to teach English. And then my sister meets her and they click. And she was mm. an English major. And then they clicked and that's it. I mean, she, she really got exposed to the American way of life, which at that time we knew nothing about. Sure. Right? Especially, again, being in a small city. Mm. Maybe big cities knew about it, you know, Moscow, St. Petersburg. But not from where we were. I mean, she was probably like the first American that we've ever seen in our life. Yeah. So she came first or you came with her? She came, she came first. She okay. came first. She came for work, uh, ended up staying, ended up meeting her husband, getting married. And I came out first time to U.S. I think I was 15 mm -hmm. uh, for her wedding. Oh, okay. And she's, and she's in California? Yeah. Yeah. She okay. lives here in San Diego. And then um, so, you know, I came out for the wedding and, and I'm like, wow. So this is what, you know, California is like. And that was, that's it. I was sold. You know, I think it was in Irvine. At that time, and then you know, I spent a couple of weeks here, and I'm like, I have to find a way to get come back, you know. Mm -hmm. And that was it. Was the coming back pretty hard? Like meaning all like everything, all the hoops you had to yeah, jump through. Yeah, because I tried to, I tried to stay right there and then, and we tried to get into schools and everything else, but it was so complicated with us being an international student and and going into um, high school and all that. It was just a nightmare. So we tried. And it didn't work, and I had to go back, and then that was kind of heartbreaking, right? Because I, mm -hmm. I, as a kid, I was I was thinking like, okay, cool, I'm gonna stay, and then all these complications happened, like it was just not possible. So then the decision was made that I'm gonna go back, finish school there, go to college there, and then finish that, and then come back, right? Get mm -hmm. my education there, and then come back. And then once I finished school there, um, I finished first year of college, and then I'm like. Uh, opportunity came to move here and I'm like nope I'm just moving 
you know? No kidding. And I was just done. I was done with that lifestyle, man. It was mm -hmm. just like so many crazy things happened with me in Russia, like around 18. My parents were like, you got to go. Really? <laughs> you got to go. You got to go. Like, you're going to be arrested or you're going to be dead. Like, you have to. You have to leave. And, um, yeah, they, I actually, at one point, I almost did not want to go. I was so, like, bought into the whole, like, really? Russian lifestyle at that point. I was like, nope, you know, I, I think I'm going to stay. And then they're like, no, you're going. So did you put it, did you put all that behind you when you came here? Kind of had a fresh, clean start? First year was, I, I was thinking every day of going back. Really? Yeah, because it's like, you know, I, I had so many friends there, right? I was the cool kid, you know, I mm -hmm. had, it's all about, you know, like, it's so superficial when you're a teenager, right? Mm -hmm. You care about the stupidest things. So it's like, I had tons of friends. I had somewhat of like a reputation in my hometown. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, and then I, I moved here and I don't know the language at all. Oh, yeah, like barely, yeah. barely, right? So I can't communicate. I don't understand the culture yet, right? Mm -hmm. So which to me at that time, it's weird, mm -hmm. right? And, and yeah, I was going to college, which uh, community college, which I was not getting at all uh, uh, because of the language. Language was a big part of it. And then, yeah, detailing cars. So I was like, dude, what am I doing? You mm -hmm. know? And, and you're then, living with your sister? And I lived with my sister for first, I want to say maybe six months. And then um, what actually helped me, so TBC, the boxing club, is what actually really made that switch for me, right? Mm -hmm. So then once I joined that, I found my sense of belonging, right? Through mm -hmm. martial arts. And now language was no longer needed because you it's all through body language right it's all mm -hmm. through the combat aspect of it so then i met my coach coach kane mm -hmm. who uh, uh was just a student at a time there and he said hey just live with me you're already training and uh, he kind of knew my whole situation i didn't have a lot of money so i think in the beginning he i just lived with him for free and they cooked and everything and then we were training buddies together which eventually led into him coaching me you know, oh, that's rad. Yeah. So, so at that point, then you were accepted as, hey, this guy can, this guy can do Muay Thai. There yes. was, there was no more hit, hit the bags and let me see. You were, you were in that at that point. Yeah. So what happened was like, so I was detailing cars. So then my schedule, like now I started actually considering competing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, they at that time had in-house smokers, which is, which is like basically your, your, your have like fight nights at sure. the gyms mm -hmm. and it was huge back then like inside in in uh, in-house smokers was like really really popular thing almost every week you could fight because all these gyms were doing those and i think for in a lot of ways and we can kind of get into that but in a lot of ways it was actually good for the sport completely unregulated completely like and and i can see where some gyms did such a poor job of organizing it and people got hurt Mm -hmm. And I think that that's why like athletic commission really cracked down on that. And now like you can get in a lot of trouble. So it was for fly, like, like this would flag the commission. Yeah. Yeah. Now, nowadays you, you, you would have to call it exhibition fights, you know, and, and even then it's such a gray area. I mean, you can get in a lot of trouble as a, as a company, you know, if you're, well, if you're doing something. What's the selection? Like how do they select who's fighting in a smoker? Back then? Yeah. Oh God, man. I have some crazy stories. <laughs> Just picking out of the yeah, hat. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, going back to, uh, uh, I'll kind of backtrack. So, so I was D10 cars, I was going to the gym and then their janitor quit. And then they said, you're here all the freaking time anyway. Like 
do you want a janitorial position? I'm like, done, right? Instead of being in the sun, because I was getting crazy burns all over my mm -hmm. body. Like, you're out in the sun, cleaning, yeah. washing cars. Like, it's one of the hardest jobs, man. It's like, I always give props to anybody that is in, in detailing washing cars, because I did it for over a year. Wow. You know? Yeah. And it's crazy because I'd be like putting on my Muay Thai shorts at the gas station and just like walking with the, with the Muay Thai shorts like down Conway down the street and like people are whistling and like all these guys are fucking with me, right? <laughs> and then I'm like, <laughs> I have like the worst 10 lines, right? Just just horrible. <laughs> I mean, it looked bad. It was so bad. And here I am like with tiny Muay Thai shorts just walking to the gym from the gas station. So I'm, I was happy to be done with that. So then that basically now I'm like, I'm stoked. I'm a same place, right? So yeah. I was still going to college and then I would clean the gym and just spend as much time as I could. So I had my morning shift, cleaning shift there, and then I had my evening cleaning shift, right? So what I would do, I would do my, uh, uh, I'd go to college, do my morning cleaning shift. During the day, I would train uh, and then evening time, I would do the cleaning shift and then instead of closing the gym, I'd just stay late hours and just do all the combos, no work way. all the combos, um, on the bag because I had the keys to the gym now. So oh, I was yeah, stoked, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's it. That's, that's what I did for a while until, so that really kind of exponentially helped me to get better because now I was spending all the time there, right? And uh, yeah, they told me like, hey, you should do this fight night, right? And then I did the first one and I won. This was a smoker. Smoker, yeah, smoker, yeah, yeah, for smoker, in-house smoker. And, and they already had a history of doing those. By the way, it would be like 5,000 square foot space that they would pack with like 500 people, if not, if mm -hmm. not more. Yeah, it was insane. People it was pay, crazy. People paying to come uh, see it? People paying to come see it. And wow. it would be so packed. It's insane. Wow. So the energy, you can imagine the energy in there, right? And because mm -hmm. you had all the members that would go there, but then you had 10 other gyms that are there and then they rally up the troops, right? Mm -hmm. So it was a crazy, crazy experience. So did the first one, one, did the second one, one, did the third one, one. And then now I'm like, getting better and better and better and then and i started with big basic beginner muay thai class then i graduated to intermediate which you had to actually test into mm -hmm. uh, and then i'm now i'm getting to advanced level which you the testing for that one was just insane um you had to like basically you're getting jumped like you <laughs> you have the top top guys from advanced class that you you spar, it's a like round robin. So fresh guy comes in every time and they're going like 100%. Like they're trying to knock you out cold. Mm -hmm. And that was like old school kind of Mel's, the, the original yeah. coach uh, uh, training. I mean, we're getting murdered every day. And then the, some of the sparring partners, I mean, I, at that time I maybe weighed 145. I mean, I was sparring guys that were like 180, 200, you know? And, and if you're 200 pounds and you know how to put weight into it, it's scary. It, it, yeah, it's scary. So, <clears throat> yeah, man, I, I, you know, I just kind of started kind of going up in ranks and, and really doing good. And then so I did those smokers for a while. And I think I won first 10 in a row, Damn. something like that. That's before even getting into amateurs. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. amateurs meaning now it's sanctioned, right? Yeah. Sanctioned event. Um, yeah, and we had like some cool stories. So we would literally, so Terry Sokoju, uh, uh, was one of the those sparring partners that I had and people that follow MMA and kind of martial arts they know who he is so he's uh, his nickname is African Assassin mm -hmm. and it's a <laughs> 220 pound 
biggest human being you've ever seen in your life. He's got long dreads. Um, they also called him the alien. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and then uh, that was my that was my training partner. No way. Yeah. So we had times where we would literally jump in his car, like his beat up Nissan Altima, like, and would jump in his car and like, let's drive to LA to the smoker and see if we can get a fight. That's how different the oh, days way. were. Yeah. Mm. So we be, we know that there's a smoker in LA, right? And there was a, this place called Muay Thai Academy, which did a lot of smokers like that. Tiny ring, ropes were loose. I mean, it, tiny, just hole in the wall place, but they had amazing fighters there. And everyone from all over, from LA, other cities would go there, best talent to, to get, mm -hmm. you know, some training in or sparring or fighting, right? So we jump in his car and just drive there. And then you literally show up, jump on the scale. Cool. You're whatever, 145 pounds. No I have, way. I have a guy, I have a guy at 165. You want to take a fight? <laughs> you, have a, you want to take a fight? You're like, fuck it. Let's go. And know then, nothing about him. You know nothing about the person. No, no. You literally just show up no right there and then. So Terry, one of the last times I remember going there with him and, and we show up and of course the guy looks intimidating, right? So the guy, so the, he had the worst luck because no one wanted to fight him. I mean, the guy looks huge. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, so you both were going to look. Yeah. Yeah. We're both. Oh, we're, you both are. Cool. Yeah, we both are. And then, yeah, we basically, one of the last times we went, he shows up, he jumps on the scale. He probably like 200 something pounds. And then he ends up fighting this poor bastard that, <laughs> that was just like not not well trained and i have no idea what he was thinking but he got in there the guy was bigger than him actually but he was just out of shape mm -hmm. and i think terry like broke his leg like broke his femur like oh, like man. he was kicking him leg kicking him that hard like it was bad what was there because people are paying to get in if if you won or was there anything for the fighters as far as like money oh no smokers? oh no this is 100 percent huh. experience there's uh. there's this is 100 percent experience so this is something that, so my buddy, Kevin, um, Kevin Ross, you know, he's one of the kind of godfathers of Muay Thai uh, currently in, in the United States. We talk with him a lot about this. That's what made the sport pure in a lot of ways. Back then, there was no social media, mm. right? Mm -hmm. There was no social media. There was no, like, this notion of fame. You, you only had, like, your reputation to rely on. Mm -hmm. So the one thing we represented always anytime we, as a club, as the boxing club, our, we had an incredible fight team for, for Muay Thai. Anytime we went and we said we were from the boxing club, like we had that level of respect. Gotcha. But never fame. Yeah, never yeah. fame. Like, yeah, you literally went there to, to these gyms to just, you know, get experience. Mm -hmm. To eventually get to the sanctioned amateur and pro ranks. Mm -hmm. But the problem with sanctioned amateur at the time was that there were not that many events. So for you to get in there, you really had to know someone to know someone and you had to be talented mm -hmm. for the promoter to consider you because there's line out the door for people lining up to try to be on the sanctioned amateur card, you know, and so you had to get that experience, which is where smokers came in. Now you don't have that. that makes now sense. You, can, you only have sanctioned events. Mm -hmm. So you're basically you're going from nothing to straight to a sanctioned event. So the level of amateurs then, I'll argue, was a lot higher than it is now. So how does how does social media change that nowadays? Well, you have every buffoon that is like <laughs> <laughs> every buffoon that is like posting the the you know mitt work and pad work and all and sparring videos and kind of writing out that high because they understand that that you know that's something that is trending right now being a fighter right so you have this guy with two sanctioned fights or some silly like or even shitty record that is like has all this following because they sell this story of what they are but that's simply not the case so the, 
it, unfortunately, and that's how it goes, you know, with the sport, the sport is growing out and big, big part of it, it was MMA, right? Now you're attracting a lot of people that are not genuinely interested in the sport. They like the, 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 the I'm a fighter aspect of it, you know? So back then, the only reason why you did Muay Thai was because you're obsessed with Muay Thai. I mean, you have to be crazy to do something like that at that time because you're getting, I mean, your body is getting destroyed daily from practices, from fights mm -hmm. and everything else. And there's no recognition for that. None at all. Money in, in, in amateurs. So then you transition right to sanctioned amateur, right? At that time. Your purse money is like thousand bucks and then maybe they'll give you a percentage off ticket sales um which is again maybe wow. a couple of hundred bucks and then they'll give you like if you go there the wayne's day before they'll give you maybe like 100 bucks for food and uh, uh you know gas money you know i mean it's crazy so you're fighting like and and, and now sanctioned amateur so it's no gear no pads at that time no shin guards no headgear now you're it's a basically a pro fight except you can't use elbows and you, uh, it's a two-minute round versus three-minute round. Oh, there are, there, are, there are pads nowadays in amateurs as well? Yep. There are pads. Now, now, now sanctioned, you know, you're padded. So basically, sanctioned amateur fights is kind of a glorified smokers now. Mm. You know, that's kind of where it is. And then you, they have different levels, right? So you, you, I think after three fights, sanctioned amateur, now you, the pads come off. And now you can do uh, uh, no padded no padded fights. The only cool thing that they introduced is that you can throw elbows. So you have elbow pads for mm -hmm. amateurs mm -hmm. and you can actually throw elbows for Muay Thai. It's huge because when we were amateurs, we could not throw elbows. So that's something you could do only as a pro, which mm -hmm. is what every single amateur fighter was looking forward to. I was really looking forward to like landing an elbow, you know, finally in the fight. And I'm training Muay Thai, which elbows is a big part of it. Sure. And in the United States, it was prohibited. And again, I'm amazed to think in a lot of ways to bringing that in for the amateurs, you know. Kind of a, a double question for you. You keep talking about how, you know, early on you were obsessed with the sport. How much of it was love for the actual sport and how much of it was that people kept telling you you weren't good enough? How much did that play question. into it? Yeah. So I think... I had, I definitely developed like crazy love for the sport, you know, and that was first and foremost. But the 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 big driving factor there was exactly mm -hmm. that. Well, first of all, I always thought that was behind, right? So uh, now I'm rolling into like 1920, and I already accomplished by that time, like incredible amount of fights, right? So I was doing all I did all the smokers. Then I was already transitioning to sanctioned amateur, winning, 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 right? So I was on the roll, right? Mm -hmm. So. By 20 years old, uh, probably over 20 fights, something mm -hmm. like that, and like title fights and, mm -hmm. and everything else, you know. So we, at that time, the, the place to be was a uh, um, uh, Hollywood Park Casino. Mm -hmm. Hollywood Park Casino. Where's that there. at? Uh, it no longer exists, but uh, it was in L.A., oh, Hollywood okay. Park Casino. and um, Inglewood, right? Yeah, Inglewood. Yeah, so, so there were some crazy, crazy fights there that we had. Um, and uh, yeah, the energy there was insane, you know. How long from, from the, the, your first fight, I guess your first exhibition or smoker, how long did it take you to get really comfortable in the ring? To where you were relying on your, on your skill set and not just going in there, trying not to embarrass yourself, I guess, yeah. and your team. Yeah. So 
there's, there's something happens that it just clicks one day, right? So I, I think once I started getting, becoming like a seasoned amateur fighter and uh, um, really having, starting to have a deep understanding of like game plan strategy versus, hey, I'm going to go out there and just fuck shit up. Like just going to yeah, try uh -huh. to go balls to the wall, you know, and try to uh, um, knock my opponent out or hurt him. Right. I think it was like closer to the end of my amateur career. I had a deeper understanding of like, okay, here's strategy and the game plan for this particular guy. Versus before it was like just kind of like free for all. Mm -hmm. And and another thing too, I don't think you ever become like truly comfortable. Mm -hmm. You know? Uh there there's so many amazing documentaries on that now with athletes and, and fighters that openly talk about like listen you're nervous you know yeah, like yeah. famously mike tyson you know mike yeah. tyson good example the reason why i'm acting out the way i'm acting out is because i'm i'm massively nervous that yeah. i'm gonna embarrass myself i'm gonna get knocked out like all these thoughts are going through his head it's exactly that it's exactly that there's few examples like kevin ross again my buddy just doesn't get nervous period you know, it's like we, we, me and him, we talk about it. He, and he's like almost upset about that because you didn't want that adrenaline going on. Yeah. Right. But so to answer your question, I didn't I, you're never like fully comfortable, but it's how you manage that that adrenaline, mm -hmm. that adrenaline dump. So, for example, when you start training and you start fighting, right, that and, and guys that fought, they will they, they know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you get adrenaline dump. So mm -hmm. you're hitting mitts. So you're, 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 you're warming up and you're right about to walk out for your fight. You're hitting mitts and everything just feels sluggish. Like you, you can't even make a fist. You, you feel yeah. like, you know, like when you wake up early in the morning and, and, and you're just like your view feeling kind of weak. It's like that. Mm. You know, it's that feeling of weakness. But because it's an adrenaline dump, you have so much adrenaline going through your body that, you, you know, you literally just have to work through it and relax but the more you panic about that, the more adrenaline is going into your system. You just feel weak. And that's when, you know, you feel nauseous. Guys throw up before the mm -hmm. fights. I've seen it yeah. many, many times. Guys, like, in the locker room, r fully ready to walk out. And they're like, got to go. And they run to the bathroom and they throw up oh, right that's before crazy. the fight. And it's all because of adrenaline. You yeah. know, nervousness. And ultimately, that's what it is. So it's how you deal with it is what, you know, be makes you that seasoned you know, amateur or professional fighter, how you deal with that, how you channel that. And so I learned that, hey, there's another day. I already know that there's going to mm -hmm. happen. Some fights were more than others. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some opponents I, I, I thought would be, you know, give me more of a challenge. So, you know, I was, I was more nervous about those fights. So did you, did you ever get, because you're getting a solid winning streak at this point, you're in these smokers, there is no social media, but you had to keep some sort of ear out. Did you get a reputation that you know of like, or, or a nickname or something that people were labeling you as, cause you're a young guy from Russia mm -hmm. who's just lighting people up and winning these, yeah. these smokers all over town. Did anybody say like, Oh, he's the, he's the Russian. Yeah. I did play off of it. I did play off of it. I'll be honest. I did play off of it, but so nicknames, like that's another interesting one. So nicknames usually, especially at that time, have no idea how all these, uh, social media clowns get their nicknames now. But <laughs> the, 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 the way to get a nickname back then was from your training buddies or from your coach. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't give yourself yeah, a nickname. Given to you. Right? Yeah. So, I was training like a maniac, I was telling you, you know, like, I was, I was training a lot, constantly, and then 
uh, a buddy of mine that was a training partner, he's like, dude, you're like the Russian experiment, you know, and that's how that whole thing started. So I was close. Yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got one experiment? part of it. Russian experiment. Experiment. The Russian experiment. Yeah. So, so that's how I got that. And that, was, that started as a, as a nickname at the gym, right? So it was not my fight name or anything else. The, the, well, it was like the Russian or the Russian experiment because no one could pronounce Artyom Sharoshkin at the gym, right? So it's, like, <laughs> so it's like the Russian, the Russian experiment. It was kind of playing with that. But then you had a legend, uh, um, uh, uh, Fedor Melenenko, which unofficially his mm -hmm. nickname was the Russian experiment. So, so I was like really hesitant about even using that name because like that guy's a legend. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And then he ended up rolling with the, the Russian emperor or the last emperor, mm -hmm. which I think is an amazing nickname, but, uh, or fight <laughs> name. But, um, so yeah, it, it stuck with me. And then, and then after that, I'm like, okay, well we can play off of that. And, and I think it will be good for my fighting career because mm -hmm. again, getting fights was really, really tough. So you had to market yourself. That's like the first entrepreneurial kind of experience that I've had mm -hmm. is, okay, like you're a fighter, you're a product, how are you gonna market yourself? Um, how you, and, and there's many ways of doing that, right? One is like your fighting style. Are you exciting to watch? From the promoter's perspective and from the, the fan's perspective. Uh, you know, so the nickname came in. Then we started uh, uh, developing shirts, which again, since you're not getting paid for fights, that was a nice like additional side hustle, yeah. which pretty much every fighter at that time was doing. So you 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 get a limited run. I don't know, like a couple of hundred shirts, um, whatever it costs you. I don't know, like maybe seven bucks a shirt, and then you're selling them like twenty five bucks, something mm -hmm. like that. So you know, that was something we did, and it's also people always from the gym supported it. And they would buy your shirts, and then obviously all of them are rocking your shirts for the fights. So that was kind of cool. You know? that's, that's rad. So I, I, mean, I, I kind of want to go back a little bit really quick on yeah. you were talking about the adrenaline dump um, uh -huh. and like yeah, how, yeah. like you being a seasoned amateur mm -hmm. or a pro, um, you know, it depends on how you are able to handle those situations. I'm curious how, like, if you have some examples of, like, how you did it or, like, how you know of people. Because I feel like that uh, adrenaline dump or that uh, anxiety-induced, mm -hmm. um, you know, experience happen is, like, a very physiological, like, thing that happens with humans just mm -hmm. in all kinds of different situations. Whether, yeah. you know, you're about to go up for a speech or you're going to go for a major test or, you know, a big fight. So mm -hmm. I'm curious how, like, how, what are some of the ways that you, you dealt with that? Yeah, you're you're right. It's it's very similar. Um, the, you know, it's 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 really interesting. There's so many similarities between fighting and business. You know, business side of things, which helps me a lot now. But that specifically, you have to have that internal conversation with you. You literally have to to, to tell yourself like, hey, this is another day. Like sure. we already know this. We've been through this many times. You know, and and. and for me personally, that was the best way of handling it, you know, so you, having that internal conversation like, hey, well, we trained for this, like, like we know, we already know that feeling, like, let's, let's mm -hmm. work through it. And um, the worst thing you can do is deny it. And I think if you're in denial and if yeah. you're trying to fight it, if you're pretending that it's not happening, this is, it's a lot worse than because you're basically, you're not addressing it. So finding a way and learning how to address it, I think is very important. Hmm. You know. Do you miss the dump? Kind of, kind of. <laughs> I, I mean, I I've have those dumps now. You know, mm -hmm. the, I have tons of adrenaline now. It's just more business related, but um, I still have those moments. Um, 
do I miss fighting in general? Sometimes I do, yeah. Like the feeling, there's nothing, you know, and fighters talk about this, there's nothing like a feeling of walking out in front of, you know, thousands of people and, and you know, them cheering for you and excited to watch you perform. And then you're obviously, if you're having a great fight um, after your hand is raised, you know, it's an addictive feeling. And that's why a lot of fighters get sucked into that. Sure. Past their prime, like mm-hmm. way past their prime to where like, you know, a lot of times people don't realize it's not just about the money. So sometimes you see um, a, a past their prime fighter uh, taking fights that they shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And people assume automatically, well, it's, he wants another payday or she wants another payday. Mm-hmm. But the reality is it's not just that. It's that addictive feeling of you're on top of the world. Like mm-hmm. for these however many minutes, right? everybody's going to be watching me, mm-hmm. right? So it's a very addictive feeling, and I, I, I can see why a lot of guys get sucked into that. It's really tough to leave that and say, like, okay, this is behind me, you know, and now I'm on a new chapter of my life. Yeah, I mean, it's your livelihood. It's your yeah. livelihood leaving behind. I mean, yeah. we talk about this all the time, particularly in MMA, specifically right now with, like, you know, your legends like Chuck Liddell and uh, BJ Penn and even Rashad Evans. Like, like, you could totally tell, you know, just in the fights, like – they need to like like we always say they need to hang it up but we yeah. don't you don't ever know mentally what they're going through and why they keep doing it i mean the proof yeah. is there you're there you know four or five you know losing streak uh fight losing streak but they're still going forward so i always wonder like what is it that's keeping them going i mean usually you know people jump very quick to jump to conclusions mm-hmm. that it's money right mm-hmm. and and no doubt that's probably a big yeah. factor especially if we're talking about ufc um, you know, and if guys are still making a big payday, uh, for sure it's probably a big factor. But I know guys for a fact that literally took fights when they were older, you know, like way past their prime, should have been retired long t- for a long time, that took fights. And I know money was not there. Yeah. So the only driver there was that, uh-huh. that addictive feeling of just like, I, you know, I love to scrap, you know, I want to be in the ring or in the cage. And I want people to uh, uh, kind of cheer me on. It's probably a tough know? thing, too, because I know, like, when you're in fighting, you rely a lot on your coach, your camp, your team, their advice. It's probably a hard conversation for a coach, maybe not as much for a coach, but, like, the people around you to be like, hey, man, it's it's time. This this is it. I, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been on, on, on that side. Like, you, you now obviously have a bunch of fighters underneath your watch and your gym and camp and whatnot, like – being on that side where it's like, hey, man, I got to give him that that talk. And it's a tough one, man. It's a tough one. And the thing is, this is where your camp comes in, right? So it's like if you have a shitty camp mm-hmm. and a shitty coach, they're going to be like, yeah, keep keep on going. Sure. You know, and it's like it's a very tough conversation. And if you have a good camp, good coach, they, yeah, they should be the first ones to tell you, like, listen, I don't think I don't think I, I want to if even if you want to fight, I'm not going to be a part of this. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, and I'm sure there's good examples of that and really horrible examples mm-hmm. of that. Right. For example, who was coaching and cornering Chuck Liddell for the last fight? Yeah. You know, if you're surrounded with yes men mm-hmm. and you're in the fighting business, it can be really, really dangerous. Really dangerous. And there's some horrible examples of guys that are taking that last fight and then getting clipped, and now they're slurring for the rest of their life mm-hmm. uh, 
at a minimum, you know, besides all the other all the other things. So it's like you you have to surround yourself as a fighter. You have to surround yourself with the right camp. I think that's first and foremost. You can be the most talented. You can be this. You can be that. Hardworking. If you don't have right people around you, again, that translates into business. If you don't have right people around you, then then it, 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 you're gonna have you're gonna have a hard time. Man. So before before the talking about too much of the hanging it up and, and kind of mm-hmm. what your transition was there. I did want to touch on, cause I know you, you were gaining all this momentum and make sure everybody understands that you eventually were fighting on a very big scale over in Thailand and like mm-hmm. how you went from that jump, because then I think we're going to talk about the next jump mm-hmm. into business and where, mm-hmm. where you went from there. But I just want everybody to know it wasn't just smokers and amateur. You like, you went on some big shows and we're fighting on some big like stages. Yeah. So it was crazy how it just it skyrocketed. So again, Muay Thai was relatively still unknown in in the United States, and California kind of was a mecca for 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 Muay Thai. So East Coast was like far behind. Mm-hmm. Like their fighters were not even close to the level of West Coast. And in fact, there were there was a East Coast West Coast thing started happening, right? Um, and it's unfortunate that the fight card never happened, but there were talks of doing top West Coast fighters versus top East Coast fighters for Muay Thai. And without a doubt, West Coast would have just walked sure. through them at that time. And I think East Coast really stepped up since then. But so I started jumping to all this show. So I was amateur, right? And uh, uh, I had an opportunity at 20 years old to fly to Japan, Tokyo, to fight like one of the guys there. And he was like a seasoned K1, which is mecca for kickboxing, mm-hmm. right? Uh, a veteran as an amateur. No so way. a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. I flew... Uh, um, to Japan, uh, made weight. Uh, it was only like three or four days that we were there, and I, I made weight, and we we did the fight, and I fought this guy, and I and and my coach at that time was convinced that I'm gonna beat this guy, right? Toughest fight that I've had at at that point, right? Again, seasoned, you know, Japanese guy, and uh, he ends up winning the fight, crushes my leg. Like uh, Japanese style is very different. Um, very, very explosive, very fast-paced, and they're known for their leg kicks. So this guy just crushed me. Ended up going to distance, and then in the first round, he actually broke my nose, and then uh, the gloves were super tiny, so that's the smallest gloves I fought with at that time, and there's no commission, right? Mm. So they're wrapping hands. They basically turn your, your hands into a cast. So, oh, so, so it's just tape. There's no gauze. No way. And then they, you basically, you roll, uh, in Thailand they do that too, they, you roll tape and you just layer up tape, tape, oh, tape, shit. tape, and then you basically, you have cast hands, right? And at that time, I was fighting amateur, right? Bigger gloves, you know, nowhere near the level. And I was that confident, I was that ballsy at that time, fuck it, let's go to Japan, let's go fight, whatever, <laughs> right? Crazy, just nuts. And then, so, I get hit with the first right hand, and breaks my nose right away in the Damn. first round. I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, <laughs> I've never felt a fist, first of all, fly that fast. Didn't see it coming at all and just instantly crushed my nose. Eyes are watering. Worked through the first round. And then I do vice versa. I hit the guy back. Bang. Like solid right hand lands. And he just looks at me like, like nothing happened, right? <sighs> and there's nothing more demoralizing than you're hitting a <laughs> guy with your biggest shot. And he just looks at you like nothing and that's what japanese fighters are known for like stone cold face like incredible i'm very fascinated with their culture because they have such amazing fighters and that's one thing it goes across the board for all of them 
they're just calculated mm -hmm. killing machines and like they have that look right so it's very intimidating and i worked through that and and second round i started doing better third round i won and uh they gave me an unanimous decision but it was funny it's like even the walkout i'm walking out and i was representing russia when i was fighting there so i walk out and it's dead silence so people that fought in japan they know it's like japanese crowd is very different right so it's like people in suits you know well dressed and like you're like you're in a tennis match Right? That's crazy. Yeah. So I'm walking out, and they're not even playing any music. I'm walking out to, to like, dead silence. And, and everybody's just sitting like this. And I'm like, like, fuck, what is going on, right? So I'm like, I can't even get pumped up, right? And then, so I get in the ring, and I'm kind of awkwardly standing. And now it's like a minute goes by, a couple of minutes go by, nothing happens. And all of a sudden, it's like... DJ like starts scratching. It's like, mama said, knock you out. The guy starts walking out. <laughs> he has such a crazy fan base. They're throwing like teddy bears at him. You know, in Japan, it's like all like plush toys and flowers and all this shit, right? I'm like, what the fuck, dude? Like, this is bullshit, right? So it's pretty funny. Like, you know, and, and that happened to me many times after that. I fought in Armenia, like Armenian guy. As I'm walking out, I got hit with a beer bottle. Uh, uh, somebody Damn. threw from yeah we fought at the hockey stadium in front of president of Armenia and the freaking somebody chucked a, a, a bottle and on like, the way out as I'm walking out to the oh fight oh my god we had such intense security there we had like two guys with, with guns like from security mm -hmm. that, that would be like literally, literally at lunch we were there for a week like promoting the show as like a Armenia versus the world or some shit and <laughs> And we'd have, like, guy cleaning his guns while we're hating, eating lunch, like, out in public. And, like, all these people oh are snapping God. photos. Like, we had crazy stories, man, fighting. It was, it, was, it was intense. But, yeah, so I fought all over, right? And so I fought in Japan. Then uh, most of my fights were still in the U.S. I think the, uh, a lot of the fights were happening in L.A., uh, Vegas, um, like, Hard Rock Casino, Lion Fight was coming up at that time, Muay Thai promotion up and coming, WCK Muay Thai. So you start having promotions growing more, and then I had more offers overseas. Like I had an offer from fighting in China, um, all these things. And then um, actually probably I never talked about this, but I fought in Vegas, and um, after after the fight the the test results for uh from nevada athletic commission come back positive for diuretic which i indeed took but being uneducated on that so i took a diuretic so i was cutting weight right i was cutting weight for for this fight that i took last minute and by last minute i think it was like two weeks notice i took this fight right so i didn't want to take this fight by a, this chinese kid a uh, very sharp chinese kid actually probably one of the top guys in china now um his opponent pulled out so i'm like fuck it let's go let's do it but i was so big at the times that i needed help with cutting weight so a buddy of mine uh, is like well take this diuretic pills it's going to help you flush your system out me being completely clueless i'm like cool yeah right take the diuretic pills it helps me cut weight end up taking the fight uh good fight back and forth lost the fight um and then uh, uh, they, they basically let me know. They're like, hey, there's diuretic in your system. You're going to be suspended for a year. Oh, no way. Shit. I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you cannot take diuretic. And I'm like, why? Right? So, again, just being completely uneducated on, on the topic, I guess, to find out later, is like if you take, if someone takes steroids, they take diuretic to 
flush steroid oh, out of their system. Sense, yeah. So even though they can't prove that, you know, you you took steroids, you know, you you have that. And and so so basically then the way it works is that you can you have a hearing, right? You have a hearing and you can go there in person or you can phone in, right? So I phoned in. You, they give you the date. So I don't even know if I can talk about this, but uh, uh, <laughs> we're going to uh, find freaking, out. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, what's his name? Alistair Overeem was on the same phone line. No because way. <laughs> when he got popped, when, when Alistair Overeem got popped and, and got mm -hmm. suspended, he was on the same phone line. Basically, all these fighters from all over, all over phone in. It could be for Muay Thai, for boxing, for this, because it's the same Nevada Athletic Commission, right? So, like and, and then you wait like for a, your like turn, a and you be, call? Yeah, a conference call with everyone, and everyone is on the <laughs> line, and you're waiting for your turn. It's the most bizarre thing, wow. and I don't know if it's still the same way, but that's how it was, right? So then you plead your case, right? So I'm telling him, I'm like, hey guys, I fought for I don't know, fifteen hundred dollars, you know, like nothing but love for the sport. There's nothing for me to gain out of this fight. Do you guys really think I would take a freaking steroid? And I was like 147 pounds. Like, you know, it's not like I was this beefed up, yeah, crazy yeah. dude, right? And granted, people take it for performance aspect of it too. But so I'm trying to reason with them. I had all the support letters from different promoters saying like our time is, you know, known to be, you know, this honest and stand up guy and all this stuff. So pleading my case, really thinking like at the very least, they're going to drop the year suspension to maybe six months mm -hmm. or something like that, which would not be. Bad, at least taking a year off. That's that's huge, especially if you have momentum going on. They're like, nope, one year, right? And before me Damn. was was Overeem, and then he's full blown tested for, you know, full table of elements, right? Mm -hmm. And same thing, one year. Wow. And so I'm like, literally telling him, so you guys telling me you guys are gonna do the same thing for this this fighter that clearly took something. And then for diuretic for me. So anyway, it was a massive, you know, lesson for setback. me. And setback, right? So yeah. now I cannot fight, right? Now I cannot fight in U.S. And then that transitioned me into now I got to explore my options overseas, right? And oh, that's okay. how the whole Thailand happened. Hmm. Crazy, man. Yeah. What's it like fighting in Thailand? Whole different experience? Most insane thing I've ever done. Yeah. Like crazy, crazy. Well, Thailand is obviously where the sport came from. Mm -hmm. So it's Mecca, right? And, and, and fighting... So I was lucky enough to fight in the um, Lumpini Stadium and the, the original stadium, right? Now they have a new one where basically for hundreds of years, top, top, top guys from Thailand and around the world, some of my idols fought in, in that ring. Chances are probably it was the same ring, right? Mm -hmm. so, so fighting there on, on, on that show was kind of like my life coming full circle. Right. And um, training there. So I flew out there and, and I trained there for um, a little bit over a month and uh, lived in the Thai camp. And basically my bedroom was right next to the boxing ring. So you like you, you, you rent out bedrooms mm -hmm. and it comes you, you basically pay for the stay and it comes with food and everything else. And they have a like chef or not chef, like a lady, old lady that cooks there for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and you basically, you live there and you train. And I had amazing, amazing training there. I mean, you get the best pad holders, the best, uh, um, you know, training partners. So I, I, it's like a northern province. I trained at Sipmon Chai. And then they're the ones that will ultimately set up a fight for you. Mm. So they, there are a few opportunities there for me to fight, right, from smaller shows to like a really big show. 
So they asked me, they're like, well, how do you feel? Do you want to take a really big fight or like in a big venue? Or do you want to take a smaller fight, kind of warm up? And then I'm like, fuck it, let's go for a big one, right? Of course. Just, <laughs> just, yeah, 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 right? So here I am, one of the only foreigners in the middle of Lumpini Stadium. And uh, they're warming me up. And it's, it's a surreal experience. So there's no like locker rooms. You're just out with where people are. They, they have like a little corner where fighters are warming up and you're warming up right next to your opponent. And by warming up, they don't own hit pads, by the way, in Thailand. So guys that train there, they know. But it's like they basically oil you up with Thai oil. It's like people that don't know, it's like Bengay, cover your whole body, right? In combination with uh, um, some other stuff and then basically put it all over your body. You get the massage and then you're good to go. So they don't warm up, Crazy. they don't, maybe some shadow boxing, but that was it. And so you're warming up, <clears throat> you're warming up while people are going to the bathroom right by you. And people walk up, they'll grab you because they bet on you. Betting in Thailand is huge. So that's what ultimately drives the sport there, you know, and, and, it, and it's a huge sport in Thailand. It's like every sport combined here, that's how big Muay Thai is there, right? So they, they literally check you out like a racehorse. You know, they, they like, they <laughs> pull on, grab you, pull on, oh, grab yeah. you, like, check, you know, like, yeah, they'll, yeah. they'll ask you, like, how are you feeling? And then just judging by the looks, they'll place their bets. And people make huge money in Thailand. Just, that's all they do. They're just betting. Wait, they're the people just, betting come up and are grabbing you? Yeah. Yeah, like, full on. <laughs> like, like a piece like, of meat. Well, well, no, even <laughs> worse than that, the day before, when you're weighing in, <laughs> I don't know if they still do that, but they're like, you walk in into the scale, it's like a little cage area, and it's like a, a massive scale that you got to step on. You have to completely strip butt naked. Oh, shit. And so oh I'm going, God. and the, again, this is completely new experience for me going there, right? So I fought for many, many, many times all over the world. The only time they made me strip down naked was in Japan, too. I don't know what it is with Asian countries, but for some <laughs> reason, really want you naked. So... I have actually, actually a funny story about Japan too. But, uh, so we get there, and I know I have to weigh in, and they have a chalkboard like right there. Again, they, they just chalk your name and then what the odds are for you. And mm. the odds are constantly changing. It could just mean how you look physically and sure. like just how their vibe is. I have no idea how they push up. What you look like naked. What you <laughs> in look like real naked. time. Your, your exactly. naked presence. You your odds go mad. <laughs> Legit, right? So, so I get there, and then... so. People are weighing in and they kind of call you like, I don't know, in whatever order. And then so my opponent, my opponent um, weighs in and there may be like three, four or five people watching him weigh in. Right. And then kind of like scribbling down like whatever his fucking odds. My turn to weigh in. You can't even get to the, 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 the weigh in area. It's like surrounded with people. No way. Like cameras, everything. Because you're a foreigner. Yeah, I was going to say, you're like the black They're, sheep. Exactly. Yeah. You're a foreigner, right? So, like, I, you can't even get in there. Like, everyone is watching, and they're all in this cage. And you're, you're stripping down butt naked. So, their chances are there's some naked photos With a room full, of, room full of people? <laughs> oh, it's like out and open in the stadium. It's not even a room. Oh it's like you're God. out in the open. So, anyone can just walk up and snap photos. And I'm like, really nice there? They're, and oh, So, I take clothes off, right? And they're like... And I'm in my boxers, right? And they're like, no, 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 that's, that's off, too. I'm like, you guys got to be fucking with me right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, for real. What like, year is this in? You're like, I'm going to Google it. <laughs> I'm going to look that up. He's pulling Google right yeah, now. Yeah, oh, my, yeah. oh, man. Um, that was in 2013. Oh, so not that oh, long ago. Man. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. 2013. So social media was around. There's, iPhone there's definitely some pictures. Oh, for sure. There's definitely pictures. Yeah, Instagram, Instagram was already happening. Yeah, so, so there might be some hashtags going on there. <laughs> that so is crazy. There's, there's not much to see there. I was cutting weight, so it was not the most impressive. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, so that, that happened. And then I'm sure there's one circulating from Japan. That was like back in 2008. Seven, something like that. Man, that's crazy. How, how was the energy in Thailand when you were fighting in those rings? Because I, I just went to Thailand in November uh -huh. and I went to a Muay Thai fight yeah, and crazy. it was fucking wild. Well, so you saw the betting, right? Yeah, uh huh. They're, they're yeah. screaming. They're screaming the whole time and uh -huh. taking did you see, bets. Did you see naked fighters? Did I did not see naked yeah. fighters. Come on, did you? We're in the trust yeah. Over here. <laughs> yeah, so that fight, that fight. Again, it was it was a surreal experience. So first of all, you, so you go through your process of warm up or whatever they oil you up, and then you're waiting for your turn, right? And then the way it works is that again, since you don't really have corners, you don't have different uh, um, areas to warm up. You're you're they walk you up. If you're up next, there's like a little cage area, and they sit you down and they walk you in in this cage area with another fighter, your opponent, and you're sitting down next to each other like this. No way. And you're about to like fuck each other up, and you're just like chilling there you know you got small talk no I, was, <laughs> I don't know what was going through my head but i remember like dude this is so weird that's crazy this is so weird and then so that fight happens right and then so i walk out and it's thousands of people right again uh, massive stadium and uh, uh all the betting starts happening you can't even hear anything that's mm -hmm. how loud it is in there before the fight even happens right because that's when all the betting starts mm -hmm. starts going right you know, we start the fight, touch gloves, quick exchange. He, like, throws something. I throw, like, a head kick, end up clipping him, then follow up with the right hand. See that the right hand lands and kind of, I can see it, it, it hurt him. He's kind of tracking back to the ropes, and I'm thinking, oh, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch him now. It will be easy first round knockout. Load up for, like, a Hail Mary hook. As I'm doing that, he bounces off the ropes. Boom, huge right hand out cold, like stiffed up, Oh shit. stiffed up, like my neck was, and I don't remember any of it, right? right. Because, so my neck stiffed up, like I'm, I'm on the bottom rope laying down and like full on, like out, cold. Oh my cold. God. And then so watching the video and, and the way it works there is like if it's a bigger Lumpini event or, or, or fight, like they'll, they'll show it on every channel. So then I'm like on a highlight reel that they keep showing that fight. So oh that's how I that's how I saw it. Yeah. Man. And then so that I don't know how like first 40 seconds of the the, the round that happened, right? So so and it was just I think it was big factor was nerves, you know, because mm -hmm. you know, I'm fighting in this big stadium and then again I clip the guy and I'm thinking like, "Oh, this is it. Got this him, is my man. moment." Instead of like taking it easy and like really working through because I was in incredible shape at that time and i think i think there's no doubt that i would have won the fight but yeah it's just one of those things got clipped driving back and then we're in the we get back to the 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 uh training camp and all the kids are watching the the replay and they're just like <laughs> all fucking with you because it's like it's such a normal thing there yeah, right yeah. but they're all like fucking with you like oh you got knocked out like look look at the video and it's like i'm out cold right it's pretty fucking bad kids <laughs> <laughs> and then and then uh what happened after that so so we uh me and my buddy kevin we uh, ended up staying at the hotel there for a little bit right before i left he ends up he ended up staying at the camp 
and I was feeling great. Like I was feeling fine. Like I obviously like concussed, but I was okay. But then when I got back to the States, all the symptoms started coming in. All right. So like massive migraines, slurred speech, lost hearing on one ear, one arm went numb, all these things happening at the same time. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Right. Like all these symptoms. And, and to the point where at one point I couldn't open my eyes and, and look at the light because it was like hurting so bad. Right. And then so I went to the doctor. Doctors are like, well, you have concussion. Like, good luck. Right. And then they're like, that's it. That's all they said. Like nothing we can do. Right. So I was really petrified at that point because like the speech went and then the memory loss and all this stuff. So um, luckily I found this chiropractor that I ended up going to and, and she basically said, hey, it's not even your brain. It's your, your vertebra uh, because the way he landed the punch, it basically twisted my yeah, neck completely, yeah. like snapped it back. And basically, it was impinging on the blood supply to my brain. And that's what was causing a lot of those things. Holy shit. So, um, you know, I ended up going to, to her for a while, for a while, for like months and months and months. And then finally got to the point of like, okay, like I'm somewhat back to normal, but still had certain symptoms, right? Like this arm was constantly like falling asleep, like chest was hurting, but it was all like just nerve impingement and mm-hmm. blood supply to the brain. But I was happy, like, I, I could see fine. My hearing came back. Like, it's crazy how those things can really affect you, you know? So that, uh, at that point, going back to kind of, so I had to kind of reassess, like, okay, do I want to continue fighting? Like, what I want to do? And for sure, I wanted to fight, continue fighting, right? So at no point, I said, like, oh, well, because of this, this injury, it's like, I don't want to fight again. Uh, and then... But then I had a business opportunity at the same time, so now now I had to weigh in. Okay, what is which one is more important, and, and which one I want to pursue, and what my ultimate goals are. Sure. Right? Yeah. And then I, you know, the business opportunity happened, and then I started uh, training again because I still wanted to fight. And then I think I got clipped in sparring, you know, again, and I started feeling some of the symptoms again, same and symptoms. that's why I was like, nope. Yeah, that makes sense. And again, That's, like, you know, it's one of those things people ask me. So, like, are you against fighting? I'm like, no, not at all. It's just it's a freak accident. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a freak accident. And it happens. You know, I mean, ultimately, you have two guys or girls punching or kicking each other in the face. Something is bound to happen mm-hmm. at some point. Right. Mm-hmm. Or not. You know, like there there's some amazing fighters that I know that had battles all their life and they're they're fine. God, they're, that's crazy. You know. That's nuts, man. Mm-hmm. And I know I shoot. I. You, you've told me that that story before, and I, I think hearing it back is uh, it's uh, it's surreal. And I, and I know it was kind of the, the springboard, and 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 when this business opportunity kind of uh, introduced itself, mm-hmm. which we definitely want to get into. But I'm sure going back to like what we were talking about, and you were definitely you're still you're still fairly young and like prime, and you said in good shape. That's got to even be harder than what we were describing about a coach telling a guy who's like who is out of shape and past their prime and that like you still were in your prime. So that had to be a really tough, like, um, decision Mm -hmm. because you were, I mean, you were fighting in the big rooms and the big audiences, like fans and all that, that had to be, I don't want to downplay the transition before we get into the business side. That had to be a really, really tough decision to make both fit like for your physical and mental like well being. Yeah. I was going back and forth for like over a year. Yeah, back and I forth, bet. back and forth, back and forth. I was like, ah, I'm still going to do it. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm still going to do it. Not going to do it. And it's like one of those things, you know, 
ultimately I asked myself a question. If you're going to do it, are you just as much in love with the sport as you were mm -hmm. before? And that's why I was like, no, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. And that's when you know, that's when you know. And then another thing too, fear, right? The moment you start worrying, like genuinely worrying about your health going mm -hmm. into the ring, you should not do it. Like when I fought when I was younger, like you literally, my mentality was like, you have to stop me with a shotgun. Like I'm going to keep <laughs> coming at you. And that was my style, you know, mm -hmm. and that's why I played into the Russian experiment, right? So it's like me and my coach Kane, we always joke about it. It's like we, we always had that fuck it mode, right? Like when we trained to where you kind of have to have that to, to where, you know, going into the ring, it, it, nerves or not, once I was in there, like not for a second, I was worrying about getting hurt. Like I was just go, 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 go. Because the moment that you do, the moment you start questioning that, now you got to rethink it, you know, and, 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 and that's where I the, kind of ask myself tough questions. I'm like, do you love the sport as much? Do you, uh, uh, from the comp competition side, you know, do you worry about your health? Um, do you worry about your parents? Mm -hmm. You know, like that's another, you know, we had tough conversations with my mom, you know, like she was obviously really worried that once I started having all these problems and symptoms, like I could tell how, you know, stressful it was worried on her, was. my sister and my family. So it's a good, I think, decision at a time, you know, so I don't regret it by any mm -hmm. means, you know. And ultimately, yeah, it gave me that push that if I decided to stick with that career, uh, probably wouldn't have happened. Yeah, you know, probably definitely. wouldn't have happened. So, you know, as they say, say, everything happens for a reason. And, you know, that was one of those things. People still ask me, they're like, you're going to do one more, right? Like, I, <laughs> I, I, I uh, posted a video of, like, me training uh, oh, yeah. recently, and I'm like, oh, guess who's coming back? Or something <laughs> like that. And I got, like, blown up, like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I'm like, no, I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it, at this stage in my life and my career, it's pretty much impossible for me to do it. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it, it, if I was to do it, this is what a lot of people ask me. Once you get to a certain level, like, as a pro, uh, you cannot play with fighting to begin with. People mm -hmm. always say like, you don't play fighting, right? You can play other sports. You, this, there's, this is not a laughing matter. You cannot take it lightly, right? So I would have to completely take myself away from the business side of things, everything else and 100% focus on that. Because you know, if you take it lightly, uh, and I know some guys that do, they do it like casually, even on the pro level, mm -hmm. and they're getting dropped or lose every other fight sometimes maybe get lucky but i'm like dude i'm not gonna do it to be like mediocre like if i was to do it like i'll do a big fight and i'll 100 focus on that fight um will that maybe happen at some point if 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 my career allows me to do so yeah sure maybe i'll consider it but the way i see it now is just impossible you know like my personal life is gonna suffer which i don't have anyway but uh, 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 business side, 100%, you know, especially of where we are in, in, in our kind of company, where we stand in the company now, and we're, we're really trying to grow and grow rapidly. So, uh, you know, it would be tough. It would be really, really tough. Yeah, so after, I mean, everything happening for a reason, I definitely want to dig in to that reason, which, uh -huh. which is, I guess, our, our, our next shift. Obviously, we covered a lot of your your growing up and, and and being in Muay Thai and the fighting experience and all that which definitely I, I think you'll agree and we'll find out played into when you transition into business um, but what was that initial business opportunity that presented and and where did it go um, when you got back so it was pretty cool so I got back and you know I went through all this 
internal struggle of like, okay, do I want to fight? Do I want to get on the business side of things? And I had some other opportunities as well. But ultimately, I thought, you know, it would be awesome to have my own school. Mm -hmm. So that was my... And what I was thinking, just starting out something really small, so like opening my own like Muay Thai studio or something like that, right? And, and just continue in the sport, you know, but now training up and coming up and coming guys. So I was really sold on that. And I actually started looking, I started looking like what, what my opportunities would be and where, whether I could find a location that would, and what that means, right? Coming from zero business background, where do you, where do you even start? Mm -hmm. Right. The, 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 I think for a lot of people, the most basic ones like, okay, cool. I'm going to come up with a name. Right. It's like always you fall back <laughs> on the easiest shit. A right? name and a logo. The stuff that is like exciting. You're like, cool, I'm going to do a name. And then and then I think this is going to be the logo. Right. <laughs> so you, you do that. And it's like I just look at it back now, like in how naive and I was, you know, back in like 2013 when it comes to business, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I, I had that in mind. And then. The, so I was with the boxing club at that point from 18 years old. So I was for close to over 10 years, right, with them. So I started as a janitor, fighting for them, coach uh, uh, or assistant coach, and then coaching full-time, then, then doing personal training and coaching. And then, so the history of the company is that they expanded to five locations, incredible locations, mm -hmm. like it, all over, right? And they were really ahead of their time in the vision of combat sports uh, 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 fit being fit in a uh, big trend in fitness, right? So they were way ahead of their time. And especially the luxury aspect of it. So yeah. they already had that, right? And uh, one by one, between the economy and for sure mismanagement, um, uh, kind of being out of touch with uh, with reality, uh, they start closing all these locations one by one. And me being a part of the company for so long, I took such pride of being coach at the boxing club and fighter at the boxing club because we were known to be like just badass gym, yeah, badass yeah. group of people, right? Witnessing that, like, I didn't realize how much it hurt me until later, like really reflecting back. It really hurt me, like seeing the company, like this thing growing. And I thought it was going to go national, right? And being a part of that growth. And then all of a sudden we were selling off or closing off all these locations uh, under the previous ownership and management. And even though I had nothing to do with the management, you know, it was still hurtful, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, coming in and, and to close doors and then you see all the members that love us so much and then you have to tell them, like, yeah, I don't know what, I don't know what happened. Like, oh. right? It was bad. It was really, really bad. So, one of the, the, the main locations where I, that initial location in, in Kearney Mesa where I was detailing cars across the street got sold to another company and that was kind of the lost the yeah. last drop, right? So um, one location stayed, and then even that location was not doing well. And, but it was, a, it was a good location in La Jolla, a very nice part of San Diego, obviously. So um, I voiced my opinion that I'm going to leave, and uh, opportunity came about. They basically, hey, why don't you come in as a partner on this thing? Mm -hmm. And if you are so confident you can turn around rather than opening your own spot, Let's figure out a partnership. And we did exactly that. So the first thing I did, I got rid of the old management um, uh, completely and really sat down and figured out, like went back to the basics, what makes the boxing club so special? Because mm -hmm. at that point, the boxing club, with that growth, they completely lost their identity, right? They, they actually rebranded to a different name and all this stuff and all this bad 
energy was around the company because of the previous ownership still. So first and foremost, I figured, okay, we have to find a way to rebrand, mm -hmm. right? We have to find a way to rebrand. And then I was even playing with the idea of completely changing the name, right? But deep inside, I still had that attachment mm -hmm. to the boxing club because it changed my life. Again, that first year that I had it in the United States, I was ready to go back. Yeah. Back, you know, because and the, the main reason why I am where I am now is the boxing club. So I said, no, fuck it. We're saving the name. We're going to rebrand of what that name means, but we're going to stick with the name. And I understand where the previous ownership was going with it because the boxing club, automatically you're thinking a boxing gym. Right, so they kind of took an easy route and they said, well, we're not the boxing club because we offer all these other programs, so let's rename it to whatever, right? And I said, no, let's keep the boxing club. I think the core group of people love us for exactly that. And then we can still offer other programs and we don't need to particularly describe that. People can find out themselves, right, as a brand. So that was my first step and that took a long time, right? So I took a company that was losing money like massively losing money and then uh, uh, ready to close down. And mm -hmm. now the first year, I mean, we were struggling, literally like counting every single dollar because we had no budget to rebrand. We had no budget to sometimes barely make payroll, barely make payroll, mm -hmm. right? And another thing too, me coming from the coaching position, how do I position myself in the company as an owner when yeah. all the other coaches worked with me as I was just a coach, right? And even though at that time, I, I under previous ownership, I, I held the position of a director of training. So I was overseeing training. But first and foremost, I was a coach still, right? So now I have to kind of change the tone and say, like, no, like now I'm in a different position, guys. And how do you do that, right? Mm, how do yeah. you do that? And how do you uh, recreate the same old culture that the boxing club had and all these things? So that was a massive learning process. And in 2014, I can't tell you how many times I thought we're going to close down. Damn. For sure. Um, and then 2015, we finally started seeing uh, 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 some momentum, some mm -hmm. momentum of, of all these initiatives that we were doing. But in the beginning, it was honestly like we had zero dollar budget and it was just me coming up with some ideas that some worked, some didn't. And that were like free. Mm -hmm. Right. Setting up tables, setting up promotional programs, bringing in seminars, asking for favors, all these things. And it started kind of slowly paying off. Wow. In those, in those months that you said you felt like it was, this is it, what was your, I mean, did you have like some sort of saving grace or some sort of practice or discipline that you, that like swooped you back up and, and kind of kept you going? Or was that the, where like the fighter came in? The fighter. Like the fighter came the in. The fighter. Yeah. It, it was the fighter. And, I, and, and, you know, there was an article on, um, what big companies are looking for and they're actually looking for now in in ceos some some sort of martial arts training mm, I yeah it. it was interesting and and i can see why right so it teaches you that discipline right discipline first and foremost for for fighting specifically is perseverance right i'm gonna get hit i'm gonna keep coming mm -hmm. back and it, that was my style right so i'm gonna just keep moving forward keep moving forward and and i'll always outwork my opponents that's what i was mm -hmm. known for the the russian experiment was because of not the way i fought but initially because of the the work ethic i might not be the most talented i might not be the smartest da da da, da but right so the way it happened is that I had my savings, my family helped me with, with some of their savings, and we basically went in on this thing that at that time, my family thought I was insane. Yeah. To, to, because it's like 
the company was losing money, right? And common sense was saying like, no, just start something on your own, small, start small. This is another thing that you're always told. So I, I asked a bunch of my friends that were in the business, what should I do? Uh, uh, should I start something in fitness industry? And they said, yes, yeah, start it, but start it very small, mm -hmm. right? Start it very small. That's always what, what I was told in the beginning. Instead, I'm jumping to 10,000 square feet in La Jolla, prime real estate, very expensive lease, uh, losing money, right? And, <laughs> and huge gamble. But it paid off because starting small automatically gives you certain limitations, mm -hmm. right? And I'm so thankful that I ended up going that route and not starting small. Uh, um, but again, now you got to have massive balls to do that, yeah, right? And then, and then <laughs> even my family, you know, they, they, they obviously helped, but they were they were very skeptical. About it was kind of like when you were asked, uh, hey, do you want to fight in the big show or do you exactly. want to fight in one of these smaller shows? Yeah. And he said, I'm going to fight in that big show. And it's finding that balance, right? Because sometimes like you can, you can be your own worst enemy, mm -hmm. right? So, um, you know, finding that balance is very important. But at that time, it was the right decision. And then, yeah, we really kind of turned it, turned it around. But yeah, we had our obstacles in 2014, even 15. Um, but it was that perseverance, uh, uh, you know, we went through, you know, so 14 kind of where I broke it down like this. So 14 is kind of like figuring out what we are, right? Mm -hmm. So 14, we figured it out. Okay, 15, what changes do we need to make and implement? We start implementing and, 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 and making these changes. Now, as this is happening, I'm constantly getting hit with the right hand because things are happening every single time, you mm -hmm. know, lawsuit, lawsuit lawsuit i had to go through uh, uh, um massively probably one of the most stressful times was a, a, a class action lawsuit that was just started out of the uh, uh because of the previous company and that mm -hmm. they they kind of somehow thought that we're responsible for that which is it's a completely different company something that we inherited we ended up winning the case but sitting at trial and having an attorney uh, uh kind of hammer you and yeah, tell you yeah. what you are, which you are not at all, right? Coming from the most humble beginnings and, and nothing but a uh, 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 kind of positive outlook. Uh, um, you know, they started basically a case just as a practice case, which she admitted openly. She's like, yeah, it's just a practice case for me, you know. But this goes back wow. to kind of California and how things are here. And, and because I, I literally, in between trial, I have a conversation with this attorney that represents the other side. I don't want to go too deep into it, but it was basically that we're liable for millions of dollars that uh, uh, the previous company have failed to uh, uh, deliver because of the loans and, you know, all these memberships, again, because they were closing them off. Ultimately, they were, they were bankrupt, you know. And uh, <clears throat> we ended up proving, obviously, that the judge took our side 100%. It's like, yeah, you guys are absolutely not guilty and not liable for this. But... Yeah, the lady openly says, Artem, I like you. Like, I like your business partner. I, I, for sure, you know, I see where you guys are coming from, but this is just a practice case. But, but, God, and then I'm crazy. saying, I'm like, you do realize you're jeopardizing every, mm -hmm. our employees, our coach has been with us for 10 plus years. So I'm like, you're jeopardizing their livelihood just because of the practice case. And this is how broken the system is and, 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 
um, you can start a frivolous lawsuit. There is no laws against mm -hmm. it. You know, you can start a practice case, even though you know that uh, chances are that the guys are not guilty. God, that's crazy. Yeah. Man. So it was a lot of that. It was a lot of I'm that. Sure, I'm and sure it, there's a lot of learning, learning through that, which learning, is, I mean, is expensive learning. Everything. It's learning everything. It's incredible with, with business, especially if you're a hands-on business owner, you learn everything, mm -hmm. right? You learn SEO, you learn uh, website development, you learn coding, you learn construction now, you learn uh, um, marketing, social media. I mean, the list goes on. Law. You know, yeah, I never yeah, thought definitely. I would be in that. And then there were there were a couple of other cases uh, uh, beyond that where, you know, Jim's suing us for uh, something silly just out of the spite because yeah. Jim's happened to be owned by an attorney firm again, right? <laughs> so it's it's really funny how, you know, there's you, you never know. You never know what you're going to get hit with. But, again, it's that perseverance and just driving through that that fighter mentality i think that's what allowed us to get to where we are now you know definitely and i think uh well obviously i'm a member um yeah. at the newest location yeah <laughs> well as I, I wanted to i wanted to disclaimer that no yeah, biased yeah. um because i i mean all, everybody in our office we're, pr we're pretty regular on the gyms and there's a lot of competition as i'm sure mm -hmm. you know as well and, and your newest location here in east village downtown um, I go to pretty regularly mm -hmm. and I think like it might've been put modestly. These, these aren't, it's not a small operation. Like you are in a big, big operation and, and your East village location just from like, um, I'm sure you had a hand in on every little square inch from the detail, the design, the architecture, everything mm -hmm. is like, uh, you'd walk in and I always joke, like it's the only place where you, you fight someone underneath a chandelier Yeah, that it is like from artwork to the Muhammad Ali mm -hmm. to the Ed Norton to like everything about it you can tell how much detail which from 2014 when it sounds like when the yeah. ship was sinking to now you have the titanic well more than one of them and down now downtown that's a crazy turn that's a cra i mean i i know there had to be a lot of in those years there had to be a lot of fight a lot of fight to get yeah and, I, and i'm sure you have people now who who walk in they just know artem now and they walk in and see this this polished beautiful mm -hmm. gym and there's like uh. oh our temp's just this probably this polished beautiful yeah. you know and they, and they don't know about that well you know i was i was i was covering up holes in this ship before mm -hmm. and now yes you do have this this great yeah uh, you know i always say so there's always an element of luck and that goes for anything you do right and like in my particular case i was lucky enough to be surrounded with so many good people mm -hmm. now partially maybe because of kind of some of the things that I do and, and you get what you attract, right? Mm -hmm. People say, so that's where I see I was lucky. But besides that, it was nothing but grind and hard work and um, perseverance and, you know, overcoming all those obstacles, all the things that um, you see on every see cheesy meme on yeah, social yeah. media now, right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. It's, very, it's very true. All of those things, it's like people post all this shit all the time and it's like, it's probably a whole different podcast of me venting about all the entrepreneurs. <laughs> uh, but well, I don't think they realize that m most all the victories come in privacy. Like all the biggest victories yeah. come in privacy. Yeah, it, 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 it was not easy. It was not easy like to from where we started to where we are now. And again, the, it's really funny for me to even talk about this now because I feel we're at such baby stage now. Like we're so far away from the final product. Mm -hmm. So we're literally like we talked a lot about history and everything else, but the reality is like we're just we're just starting yeah like literally just starting um on the grand scheme of things so um you know it's it's very exciting but yeah this this expansion project so 
opening this new location in downtown and, and, and our goal was to really separate ourselves from the rest of the uh, fitness industry and that goes for not just combat sports fitness but just in general right so so mm -hmm. there's no question san diego is super saturated with gyms um it's insane so for you to succeed here you really have to show how different you are right between the small studios to big chain gyms um we had to really showcase what makes the boxing club so special so with this village location with the new location i've the challenge was like okay we're going to have this location we definitely want to pay attention to design right and and really right away showcase like listen this is not a normal boxing gym there's five thousand dollar chandeliers there's ten thousand dollar graffitis like all these things but it was done on purpose so there was it's not just like oh look at this posh gym it was done to showcase that listen you can have world-class instructors mm -hmm. you can have the quote-unquote family feel but in, in in this nice environment, you know, that, that you don't need to be a part of this typical kind of dirty, grimy environment to have that world-class instruction. Mm -hmm. So that's what makes the boxing club so special. And so the challenge for that location for us was to recreate the same feel and vibe that was at the original location, mm -hmm. right? But how do you do that with, obviously there you had the core staff, right? Some of the coaches been with us yeah. for a very long time the member atmosphere is incredible, right? It's just a big community, right? Incredible community. So we were worried that like, are we going to be able to recreate that? If we do, then we have something special. If we mm -hmm. don't, then clearly th there's, you know, uh, there's a big obstacle to overcome. And we did exactly that, you know? So, so now seeing that, you know, that vibe community that we created in our original location, we recreated, if not doubled down on it at the new location. Mm -hmm. What's even more unique, now we're creating a community between both clubs to where the members of one club and the coaches are friends connected. and members of the other club connected yeah. through all the social events that we're doing. You obviously guys see how much of social events we're doing and we're pretty much doing everything uh, like every weekend we're mm -hmm. doing something. And a big factor there is like we, we are constantly trying to build that community, obviously give our members something fun always besides just the, the facility and the gym and the coaches. But getting, uh, giving our members a chance to get to know each other from mm -hmm. different locations or the same location and hang out with the, with the coaches as well. So that, that's kind of our model. And I think that's kind of our vision moving forward uh, uh, for the company is, is that, that, that sense of community and the world-class coaches, I think, is what's really going to separate the boxing club from some competition. Because right now there's a big trend in boxing and you know combat. But I, I think that because yeah. I mean yes we've watched on social, but I've also watched like outside of, of social. You guys are when you're saying overworking or outworking the competition, those moves and like you're doing mobile workouts where you're taking people to like some significant locations around San, San Diego mm -hmm. area, which have varied all over the place and doing workouts out there to, I think, establish that community, which I don't feel like other gyms are, are putting that much effort into. And I mean, I, I had no idea you're doing this until day of, and we just, we obviously just wrapped up our big opening day, um, for the Padres here, mm -hmm. um, downtown and, and we're blocks from where the stadium's at. And you guys brought up your actual ring and we're doing Muay Thai mm -hmm. fights on, the yeah. main street, right outside of where the um, stadium left goes, in, goes, yeah. goes in and out. And I look, <laughs> but when I when I look at that, people, I, I think I watch, look at it from an operator's eyes and an owner's eyes, and they look I'm like that was that's really cool, innovative, and, and I'm sure that was ge everybody's general impression. But look, I'm like, there's no ROI on that. 
there's no like if anything it costs you it costs you money to, I'll to tell do you, that i'll tell you roi on that exactly so i think a lot of the other gyms or just businesses in general don't do things like that because yeah the amount of time and money you invest in that is insane mm -hmm. right so boot camps for example so we rolled out uh we bought a van wrapped it we said, hey, San Diego, we're coming for you. And we, I had an idea. Let's roll out 10 boot camps that we're going to announce. They're going to be around iconic destinations in San Diego free. Mm -hmm. Right now, first and foremost, of course, the great promotion for us. Our members go there. Uh, Non-members go there. And we had some signups from that. Reality of it is barely any. Right. Mm -hmm. Barely any just because simply of that thing. But what we're saying is like, hey, we're constantly going to be working with the community. We're constantly going to be giving back. So the chances are. Even if you don't particularly interested, if you're not interested in boxing, kickboxing, Muay Thai, Jiu Jitsu, whatever it is, you might have a girlfriend, you might have a friend that is interested in that. And since you constantly see TBC and, and us doing events like that, you're like, hey, you guys should check, uh, uh, mm -hmm. check this place out because it seems that they're doing the right thing. So opening day, we have this event, right? Massive setup, costed us money, staffing. Ring was like uh, uh, three grand just to, to set that up, right? And so, so crazy. You know how many people were signed up? Huh. One. Now, so crazy. Now, and, and it's so funny. I literally just had conversation with my staff about this on Monday. So every Monday we have our staff meeting with the management where we kind of go over everything and kind of game plan. So obviously we, this month just started. So, you know, we game plan for this month and we're kind of looking back. And so we signed up one person and my management actually had a question like, why are we doing all this? Mm -hmm. Right. Some of them. And we had this honest conversation. I'm like, guys, it's not about immediate ROI. It's not about that. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it, it's about us having presence in the city and, and people understanding that the boxing club is not just some business. We're mm -hmm. literally a big part of the city. And my ultimate goal is uh, specifically for San Diego. The boxing club should be that destination. It's like if you're visiting San Diego and if you're here for a convention or whatever it is, or as a tourist, you have to stop by the boxing club, even if you're not into boxing. That's what the ultimate vision, which mm -hmm. is completely different from uh, uh, any other gym. But again, we're not really building gym gyms. We're building a company, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we have to have a deeper deeper meaning deeper understanding of like what we are like what is our goal what is our message here mm -hmm. you know and first and foremost currently where we are now is san diego community mm -hmm. you know and, and and trying to capture all of san diego and bring our our product to to all of them so that's very important you know i, I think what some people will overlook too to answer like your, your staff's questions they see oh only one person signed up and we were bleeding and sweating and uh -huh. doing all this loadout is it's also like, well, that's an investment in your current members too, because there's no other gyms that I know of where like, I, I'm, I'm sure you had current members go down and watch the fights. Cause like, Oh, this is rad. This is my gym. This is my people. Those are my coaches. You had yeah. your, your coaches and people leading the class were actually in the ring, giving like sparring seminars and, and all that. So you got to look at like, okay, we could keep signing up one after another, that number, but if we're losing members yeah. as well. And I feel like doing, doing the mobile workouts, doing fights in the middle of opening day on, in the gas lamp, like that also retains and gives your people who are the thousands of people that are current members excited. And they feel part like of, I, there's no other gym that does this. So I want to stay with, with these you're, guys. You're absolutely right. Uh, retention is a big factor in there. And, and we have so many of our members and now with social media and like Instagram and reposting. So we repost all of our members' stories. And, and they constantly post about that. That it's like, what other gym does yeah. that? So it's yeah. a very, very kind of prideful moment for them. Um, but again, all of those things add up to overall picture. Because mm -hmm. even though we signed up one that day, the next day on Sunday, six came in. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's you cool. Know, so yeah. 
all of those things, all of those factors add up. And again, when, when, when people see that this company is not just about working out, right? It, we're, we're so much more than that. We, we, we sponsor fighters. We uh, do a bunch of charity events. And I'm sure we're going to be doing more charity events. And uh, we just did that uh, for a free ride for Big Brothers Big Sisters mm-hmm. charity event, which is a spin event at the boxing club, right? So we're going to constantly push that envelope. And, and we'll literally sit down with my marketing and like, okay, what crazy shit can we do? Like, mm-hmm. how we can push this further? Mm-hmm. And it gets crazy sometimes to where I get checked. And, and I love that my staff <laughs> checks me. Like, uh, you're out of your mind. We cannot do that. I'm like, let's do a boxing boot camp on Midway. How much would that cost? Is like 10 grand? <laughs> I like to that for 10, sure. 10 grand. I'm like, well, well, let's find a way to figure that out. We have, yeah, crazy ideas. And I think it's good. I think yeah, it's healthy. Yeah. Um, you know, again, there's there's a limit to it. And, and at the end of the day, of course, uh, you have to make sure that your staff is behind it and, and, mm-hmm. and they support it. But I so far, I think that's what really, really separates us specifically in San Diego market from other gyms, you know. That's cool. Is there any is there any stuff that you can talk about that you might be new projects or new exciting stuff coming up in 2019 or maybe 2020 that you're able to share here? I, 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 I can and I can because I signed NDA, but uh, there's certain someone that somewhere. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. So we have a potential opportunity. So first of all, overall goal for the company, I think we definitely want to grow in San Diego, continue growing in San Diego, and San Diego will always be a home base for the company. Um, no, without a doubt, we'd love to have a couple more locations here, and we're actively looking, and, and there's some opportunities there. But we also have opportunities to finally, for the first time in company history, which actually originally was built in 1999, the boxing club mm-hmm. uh, uh, was here in, in San Diego. For the first time in company history, I think we're we're looking forward to leaving San Diego and and going beyond that to other markets that are within the state and also outside of the state, which cool. is very exciting. Yeah. So at this point, we're kind of in a position of, listen, if someone calls me and they're like, Artem, I have an opportunity for you in Texas, amazing location, this, that, and the other. Are you interested? Normal person would probably be like, no, you're out of your mind. I would be like, cool, I'm I'm flying out. Let's check it out. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where we are. Um, and the, the, the main reason there is I, I genuinely believe in our product. I think we have something very unique and and, and different and, and, again, has such a deeper meaning than just like, oh, it's a boxing gym. Yeah. Right? And, and the vibe and the culture and everything. So I really want to share that with, with other areas because when our members leave now and they go to other cities, like for whatever, for work or something else, they all messages are like, dude. I moved to LA or I moved to somewhere else and then there's nothing like you guys. There's mm-hmm. nothing like you guys. And I, I really wish you guys were here. And, and that just excites me. I'm like, okay, we got to find a way how we're going to grow, like how we're going to expand, um, to really reach those markets. So, um, yeah, it's very exciting in a way up. We probably had more interest now than ever in the company from the perspective of, you know, influencers and potential investors and everything else so it's it's really exciting to be in this place right now but you know we have to kind of take it step by step and not not outgrow ourselves and be ahead of ourselves because that's kind of partially what happened with the company before under previous ownership so you have to be very much aware of that but at the same time sometimes again you gotta have the balls and just go for it you know i got you and i think uh our our last reserve question that we ask everybody that's on now hearing your whole story out is there if, if there's anybody who's 
who's currently watching or listening and is in the weeds, since you've mm-hmm. definitely been in some thick weeds in your mm-hmm. time, you know, what is your like shortest, shortest piece of advice you can say that was uh, something like general that you would always lead on when you were, when you found yourself deep in it, um, that you would give as advice to get through, whether it's, it's work related, personally related, mm-hmm. um, fight related, whatever, whatever the case, what's, what's your, uh, best piece of advice? Man, it's tough because again, it's like, I'm in such a, a funny position. Like I, I am so humble when it comes to that. Like, I don't think I'm in no position to give any advice to anyone. Right. I'm figuring it out myself. Right. So mm-hmm. I can only speak from experience. And I don't have the particular right answer, but, you know, coming from no business education, coming from no fighting background, right? Coming from all these things. So I don't have anything behind me. Again, the only thing I had was the kind of hard work mm-hmm. uh, uh, ethic and and, and uh, um, really just passionate about something that I do, you know, right? So, you, again, it's kind of overplayed, but it's, it's true you have to find your passion and you have to follow it. So if you're passionate about a particular uh, um, business idea or, or, or hobby, whatever you're into, um, you will always outwork and you'll always find a way. You know, if, if someone in my business now and, and, and they don't enjoy what they do, it's good luck. Right. I'll always outwork you. Right. So a lot of that is hard work for sure. Perseverance, this and the other. But at the end of the day, I love it. You know what I mean? So I'll always outwork someone. So I think finding the right passion, first and foremost, finding the right passion and make sure you follow that. I think that's very important. Uh, um, And then at that point, you know, all of that hard work that you're putting in uh, and and perseverance is obviously going to pay off. So that's that's very important. Um, But again, I would probably double down. um, I would double down on doing something that you genuinely love and passionate about, you know. Mm -hmm. I hear you there. You guys got anything else? That's about good. It. Any, any fighting questions? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I mean, I think we got the uh, adrenaline dumps and naked weigh-ins out of naked the way. Naked weigh-ins, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> circulating um, uh, naked pictures in Thailand. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you find them, uh, send them my way. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Artem Sharoshkin. Yeah, but yeah, yeah tag good, you too. Yeah, that, yeah, that's, tag a good, you that's a good ending, though. What's, uh, where can people find you or the boxing club? What's the easiest way to find, uh, find you guys? Yeah, so we have two locations. We have one in UTC. That's our OG location, so I definitely recommend if you're into boxing or fitness anything uh, fitness related stop by there we have a new location amazing state-of-the-art location here in downtown in east village uh uh being a board member of east village association i encourage you guys to come and support just east village businesses any businesses that are in east village um very passionate about this neighborhood and all the you know growth that uh, um, i'm seeing here it's very very exciting um, theboxingclub.net because .com was not available. The guys <laughs> wants too much money. Fuck them. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll stay .net. Um, uh, our social media tag is theboxingclubsd, which we're also trying to figure out since we might be leaving San Diego area and going to other cities. We're gonna have to uh, come That's up with tricky. a new we're, yeah. we're, we're come up with a new name there. But yeah, you can find us there. Awesome, man. Cool. Good stuff. Awesome. Thank you, guys.